What is going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Running and Gunning Podcast with your hosts, Justin Sinan and Logan Sandburn. We are stoked to have y'all joining us this evening. we got an awesome guest lined up, Zach Owsley of Tennessee. He is an awesome guy. I got to meet him uh, in person here recently at the uh, Chattanooga Mobile Hunter Expo. And um, just, I, you know, I feel like he has a lot to share with us Uh you know, he's definitely a veteran in the game, but um, we're going to catch up with him here in a minute or two. I want to catch up with Logan. If uh, For those of you guys that have been listening for a while, uh, we, we haven't had him joining us the past couple. And I miss you, man. I mean, what, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> I have been super busy um, just with work and home life and that sort of stuff. I've got a lot of things going on leading into fall, um, especially trying to – you know, rack up those brownie points and do things, get things done at home so that come September, uh, I don't have to try and fit those in. So I'm also trying to get a lot of work done, uh, obviously with Timberwolf and that, that sort of stuff, but also just, uh, I'm back on, on patrol now, uh, and able to work overtime. So I've been working a lot of that and it's taken up a a crap load of my time. <laughs> um, unfortunately, but I'm, I've got, uh, I'm getting better with time management. So that's a plus. So, that's uh, I've got some cams out. I don't have anything so far. That's really got me excited. Um, which is, you did glass some good bucks. Did anything yeah. come of that? Yeah. Um, I've got to go try and get permission on that. Um, they don't actually live at that property. So yeah. I've got to, I'm going through the same track thing. them down. I actually yep. went out this evening and knocked on a couple of doors and uh, got into an hour-long conversation with an old couple. It was great. Yeah? I could not leave. And oh, my God. Could not leave. And, and did, did they it sold end the well at least? Uh, no, it did uh. not. It did not. <laughs> totally, totally got strung on. Uh, and then the guy's like, well, you know, what we did was we sold the property to the Mennonites about three years ago. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, the wife's cooking supper, so I got to go, man. Man, did you know about that now? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, dude, I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> hey, that's you awesome. know, I was a biologist when I was around your age. And I'm like, this guy, I'm like, he's like, you make sure you stop back in here next time you're driving around, man. You're, you're a great guy. I'm like, oh, thank you. Let me know if you find any farms I can hunt, you know. <laughs> and you just burn gravel as you're getting out of there. Oh, God, I couldn't get out of there fast enough, dude. That's but, that's uh, funny. But yeah, yeah. You know, but nothing came of it. You know, I'm I'm trying to obtain some more property. Uh, that's where I'm at. I've I've got some decent bucks on camera, but nothing. I'm like floored about going after and trying to end my season on day one. So, you know, it's a grind. But uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it this year more than stressing about it. That's just my motto on it. I'm like I want to just enjoy it. You know, trust the plan do my thing. I'm sure something will happen. So, yeah, I just keep looking at the calendar and it's like, it's, it's right there. We're, we're, we're getting close. And I, and I keep going through these roller coasters of like anxiety where it's like, I haven't done enough. Uh, It's like right there. And I get like super anxious. And then it's like, all right, you need to just chill out. Like it's one, a long season two, like you haven't done, I haven't done quite as much as I've wanted to leading up to now. Just because of time's sake. And so it's, I know that once I do that, those things that are on my to-do list, like that'll start to produce. So it's just a matter of getting, getting shit done. Absolutely, man. Well, let's get into our, uh, our guest is patiently waiting back here. Zach, <laughs> how are you doing this evening, man? What's going on? I'm, I'm doing well, doing well. Hearing you guys talk, man. You know, you're talking about it's a couple weeks. Like I got like eight days, and I'll be in the woods in Tennessee. So, yes, sir. It's close. close. Yeah, you getting excited? Uh, more nervous than excited, I think, just because you know I haven't found anything. I'm like you guys, and you know the the place that I think I can go to get one. I don't really have any cameras out. I can't run any there. So I'm just kind of I'm kind of so that nervous and excited feeling. You know, just kind of chomping at the bit but wondering how it's gonna play out yeah yeah man it's a it's definitely like that weird feeling because you're like all right well i I have faith in in myself but uh 
it just feels a whole lot better when you know that you got what you're going after, you know, like there's nothing worse than seeing that like borderline buck and he's walking to you and you're like, Oh, do I want to shoot him? Do I not want to shoot him? Uh, you know, I don't run into that problem very often. Oh, you know, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's borderline. He's usually getting shot by me. I'm, I'm a little yeah. trigger. <laughs> you guys, you get uh, multiple tags in Tennessee, right? That is correct. Yeah, we get, yeah. uh, and because I'm, most of the area that I hunt CWDs on, so we got up to three tags, and then you know you can yeah, kill does and get that. extra. Tags, so I need to just start hunting Tennessee and just go have some fun and get my yayas out and shoot some deer <laughs> <laughs> instead of being so damn picky in Kentucky. But man, why don't you give a little breakdown? I've got, for I've got a question for you. Okay. All right. Uh, just with so with season, you know, eight days away, and you're not really sure what you want to go after. You don't, I guess you don't have a target um, per se on day one season opens up. Are you finding a place to sit? Are you continuing to scout? Are you putting more cameras up? Like what's, what's your strategy? Uh, You know, you've been doing this a long time. So what have you found the most success in, in your approach? Well, I actually haven't been hunting this early for a long time. So, I mean, the velvet hunt just started here, I think uh, somewhere around five years ago, but my approach to, to the velvet hunt has always been, you know, try to glass some deer on property that I know I can hunt that are at least close to property I can hunt. Uh, and I was telling Justin about this earlier. Um, I run cameras and then if I find a buck that I think I can chase, I'll go chase him. But if not this other property, I'm not really able to get cameras out on that property and I can't see it all from a glassing point without really getting into the middle of it. So uh, I kind of keep that spot in my back pocket, stay out of it, but I know good bucks tend to roam that area and it's not a place where they seem to come back every year until late season. Like it's always a different group of early bucks for whatever reason. But uh, so I haven't found anything or haven't found a target. So what I'll probably do is I'll continue glass in that area I keep that spot in my back pocket and there's like a little cut of beans that goes right in between two cornfields that I can't see. And probably what I'm going to do first morning is I'm going to go out there and I'm going to sit at a nice little vantage point and then I'll glass that area. And if there's something there that I think I can make a stalk on, that's what I'll do. If I can't make, and there's a nice little ditch that runs down beside it. So I can get in that ditch and make a stalk. And if I don't think I can, or there's too many eyes in the field, what I'll usually do is back out and then I'll either come back the next morning or afternoon, you know, whatever the wind plays, plays right. So, uh, when, when you're hunting this early, it's all about the food, you know? So, uh, the food is, it's just a matter of being a little bit lucky for me. So you will hunt the mornings then, huh? Uh, the, the one velvet buck I have killed, I shot him in the morning about five minutes after daylight. So, um, I don't know why I seem to have way more success in the morning than I do the afternoons. And maybe it's the style of hunting I do or whatnot. But. I imagine. So are you finding like them bedding or are you just kind of figuring where they're coming into the fields? Are you catching well, them before they get to the field? No, no. I usually catch them in the field when it's early like this, mm-hmm. but like, you know, this is kind of what I was talking to you yesterday about is like the around here, you can't really get on a deer's bed. It's just not going to yeah. happen. You know, like right. it's so flat here. If you can't see a thousand yards, it's because there's a tree in the way. I mean, like it, it is so flat. You're just not going to walk up on a, on a bedded deer here. So you, your access is really important. And on this certain property, you know, I'm limited on access as is. So uh, I, don't, I don't kind of forgot where I was going with that. But, uh, no, I'm, I mean, like in the morning time, though, for whatever reason, I feel like as long as they're not in the field, I can see it from a vantage point or get to a vantage point pretty easily. In the afternoons, it's especially this time of year, it's just so hot. But uh, in the afternoons, they don't tend to get to the beans until really late, or at least around here. But in the mornings, I'll catch them out in the beans as late as 8.15, 8.30 in the morning. So it gives me a better opportunity usually. That's cool. Yeah, you just, you know, it's something you don't hear a lot of guys talk about hunting mornings in the early season. But I think 
like if you're in the right situation for it, I think it's absolutely deadly. I mean, you can cut that distance a lot easier than you can during uh, daylight, you know, to get back where you need to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just, that it just said my it just said my recording stopped. I don't know if that hurt you guys. Oh, now it's recording again for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm you a rookie. Be, you're good. Oh. I flagged it. I'll be doing some editing on this one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna hop back in, and we're gonna. I'll, so I want to do a, you know, have you, well, we kind of jumped into that. I want to do a, have you introduce yourself just a little bit. Give us a little background. How long you've been hunting, you know, what, what area you're in Tennessee, like you in Southern or Eastern, where are you at? Uh, yeah, I'm in Northwest Tennessee. I mean, I'm, I'm literally 15 minutes from the river. You know, I work across the river in Arkansas. Uh, I can go up to, uh, you know, I can be in Missouri in 20 minutes. I can be in Kentucky within an hour, you know, so I'm that close to the border. Um, I've been hunting really my whole life. I, I guess I was traveling around with my dad, you know, squirrel hunting and stuff when I was real young from about probably five years old on, you know, even before I remember I couldn't hold the shotgun up, but he would help me shoulder it. And then I would shoot squirrels out of the tree, you know, uh, started deer hunting though, uh, probably when I was 10, um, but really didn't get, into the, you know, where I was going by myself until about 14. I wasn't fortunate enough to have a uh, p- private property anywhere growing up. So I grew up, you know, doing the whole mobile thing. And you're very generous in your introduction of me, but you did call me a veteran, you know, in this, in this running gun or the mobile industry or type of hunting. And, and I would say it's accurate because like 13, 14 years old, I was carrying a climber on my back. You know, I'll never forget the first climber I had was API baby grand slam climber. And, uh, it felt like it weighed a hundred pounds, you know, to me. And if I was walking 200 yards from the road, I was wore out at that age, but, mm-hmm. uh, been doing it since then. And then as I got into college and, you know, it kind of become that, how do I take it to the next level? You know, I don't have the spots that my dad or our buddy has flagged for me to go to trees and I started getting into the scouting and finding bigger deer. And it's just kind of evolved and into the uh, obsession that it is now. Yeah, man, I can really relate to your story. That's, that's how I feel the same way. I was brought into hunting, you know, around like 13, 14 with a climber on my back and we had a little bit of private land to hunt, but you know, it was, uh, I just kind of fell into that, like, my lucky that my dad got me into using a climber and using woodsmanship to kill deer. And then it just blew up from there. Like I just gravitated towards trying to find bigger and bigger deer. And it's awesome, man. It's really cool uh, to see like how so many of us that are, you know, like hip with the mobile hunting style now, like where we started versus where things are now. And like, I wanted to get your perspective on that. Like, when did you and are what's your style like what's your mobile setup right now that you're going to take this year i'll be honest with you it kind of changes so like if i have a tree marked that is a nice tree to climb i feel like that if i can use a climber i'm going to use a climber it's just easy for me and like i said i've been doing it so long you know i've used a climber for 20 something years i can it's just second nature but then i got into style hunting probably about four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And now if I'm scouting my way in or I don't have a tree marked, uh, a lot of times I will take a saddle. And then if I do have a tree marked and it's not for a climber, I'll even use a lock-on setup. So I I do have three setups that I use regularly. So I'm looking at, you know, scout your way in, saddle. If I got a tree marked, I'm in some kind of tree stand. And, you know, uh, you want to talk about the evolution of it a little bit of, you know, where we've come to, like, I remember that first tree stand being light, you know, that's what we called light and it was 21 pounds. And then I upgraded as I got to be probably 17 years old, I upgraded to a 23 pound one, but it was more comfortable and roomy, you know, and now we're going in with entire setups that are, you know, a lock on setup. You can go in as light as what, 12, 13 pounds saddle setups, guys going in 10 pounds or less, you know, if they're being really minimalistic. So, uh, you know, we've come a long way, 
a, a long, long way from where we were. But like we talked about earlier, I'm just happy that, that I still have like that woodsmanship, you know, that I learned from my dad. I see all these guys now, I'm like, you know, this is my first year mobile hunting or this is my, you know, third, I'm just getting into mobile hunting and I found the hunting beast. And like, I hear a lot of this stuff on podcasts and people and people like to use the word regurgitate, but there's a lot of common facts between guys who tell people how to kill deer. You know, there's a lot of commonality and a lot of those things I've just grown up learning, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've always just looked at the equipment as more of a tool rather than this is my system, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I refer the same way. It's like people, a lot of people bash the saddles and stuff, but it's like, I feel like there's really, you know, when you talk about being a, a mobile hunter, it's just like, you're just opening yourself up to what's the most efficient way for you to hunt. You know what I mean? And I feel like for me, it's just, it's just an efficient way to do things and, Thank God we've got like this awesome equipment that not only is like safe for us, but you know, it's also light and you know, it's just one more thing that helps you get the job done and uh, makes it easier to pack up at the end of the day instead of making so much noise. And I feel like that's really the whole goal of us uh, mobile hunting and where the evolution goes to is like, how can I be faster, quieter and safer? You know what I mean? Like, now I have these multiple tools that I can use. And before it was like, if you weren't using a climber, then you were sitting on the ground. You know, like, like I saw, at least around here, that's all. I never even heard of a lock-on until I was probably, or at least not a mobile lock-on until I was probably 23, 24 years old, somewhere there. So there's something everybody can use now. And, you know, everybody has their preferences, but I, I can't stand hearing people say, well, you know, saddle's better or, fans better like i'll be the first to tell you i do saddle hunt some but the saddle wins from the truck to the tree and from the tree to the truck but while in the tree and while shooting deer deer stand wins every time in my opinion right it it sounds like you're i mean you have like that whole toolbox at home so when you know where you're going you know what uh spot that you're headed into you can pick and choose what tool you're going to take with you. And I feel like a lot of people get so locked into just running, you know, whatever system, uh, whether it's, you know, a certain brand or a certain like style, whether it's a stand or a saddle or a climber or X, Y, or Z. And it's like, why not just have all the options open? I mean, that's, Absolutely. that sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. That's the I, the, of it, right. I mean, it's cool having different stuff. I mean, like you said, it's, the, a t- it's just a tool in your toolbox. The biggest deer, deer I ever killed, I killed from the ground. It was the only place I could shoot him from, you know. Uh, so, I mean, if you get locked into that, this is the only way I'm going to hunt, you're going to miss out on opportunities. And I did that for a long time, and that's the reason I am the way I am today. I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, it's kind of funny how many people don't, like, stop and think about, like, oh, well, I mean – a lot of the guys that we, you know, enjoy following and like kind of maybe so-and-so look up to are hunting one stick off the ground every once in a while. And it's like, well, why don't you just hunt off the ground at that point? You know? And it's like, well, I I just, I kind of get a kick out of it, but every situation's different. You know what I mean? Like where you just hunt where the cover is and whether it be on the ground or that's the beautiful thing about having a good mobile setup because it ain't weighing that much on your back. So like, heck, if you don't need it, let it lay there on the ground and do your job. I mean, I remember, and this, this hunt's probably been at this point, eight, nine years ago, but I remember there was a power line and you know how it is. You go through a power line and right there on the edge, it's super thick. Well, this was back in my climber only days. So I had to climb like 35 yards off the edge because that was the only place I could find a tree to fit a climber on. And I only got like 10 foot off the ground. So it wasn't even a great tree, you know, but I watched a buck that morning for two hours within 35 yards of me running up and down that power line, chasing a doe, grunting. He had a, like a bird's nest almost basically wrapped up in his horns. It was all the, all the stuff from inside the power line. And I was just like, man, it'd be nice to hunt over there. And, you know, I, I look back and if I would have done this 10 years ago, like how many more opportunities I would have presented myself if I wasn't limiting myself to one system. 
Right. And there, don't get me wrong. There are systems that like a saddle works for 99% of places you're going to hunt. A lock on works for 99 places you're going to hunt. But there, if you want to be, you know, like comfortable, there's going to be times where a stand works better than a saddle, you know, and there's going to be places like where we talked about, there's not even a tree to climb. So you got to sit on the ground. Mm -hmm. So never, I just, I, I say be an open book, you know, leave those options open. You were even talking about earlier of uh, having permanent sets and it's like, there's nothing wrong with a permanent set as long as it's in the right, right place and you hunt it at the right, it's very useful. Cause then you're not carrying anything with you. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like one thing is, is, you know, like I hang these permanent sets in some places that I do have some private land now. I'll be honest with you. There's some of those that they might get hunted once this year. There's some of them that may not get hunted at all, but you know, that like, that's the biggest, the problem isn't that you have a permanent set. The problem is that you have a permanent set and you go hunt it 10, 15, 20 times. That's where the problem lies with permanent sets. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. It's, it sure is nice too, especially for them morning sits on private land where you can just go and you already know like, all right, I want to go set up on that edge. I've got a perfect wind and I already got sticks hung in that tree. And you're like, just throwing the platform on the backside and getting at it. You know what I mean? It, it's definitely a more, uh, I don't, I try not to do it. I try to check myself on like, am I being lazy this morning or is this the tree I need to be in? You know? And a lot of times, like once you find, once you're hunting a farm and you find like, you only got X amount of trees to get in anyway. I mean, you may as well save yourself the time and, you know, be a little bit more stealthy in the morning. Cause it's, you, I'm sure I know I'm preaching to the choir, but setting a, a doing a hanging hunt in the dark doesn't always work out to your uh, advantage. Let's just say that it it can, but it, very rarely. Most of the time, if I'm hunting a morning spot, and you know, we kind of talked about this earlier, like why do I hunt mornings, even early season? You know, I hunt a lot of mornings. Um, I always know what tree I'm going to in the morning hunt. Like I, I never go into a morning spot in the blind, I guess you would say, even if I'm like, okay, I want to go to this area. I always have a singular tree marked. So in the morning times, I'm always hunting with a stand unless I'm out of state somewhere, you know, I might have some, some times where I kind of ease into a spot and then I might not sit up for an hour after daylight or something like that. If I don't, if I can't find anything in the dark, but like, you don't know how many times I've went in in the dark and then you climb a tree that you've never been in. And then once it gets daylight, you're like, I don't have any shots. Or yeah. I'm, I should have been 15 yards that way. So Right. That's where I was going with it, man. Heck, I had that happen a couple of years ago, and I went and hung in the tree, and I thought that I picked the right tree, and I got all the way up, and I looked over, and I was supposed to have a little sapling, like, and there's no sapling anywhere. And I realized I was, like, 15 yards back in the thick stuff when I need – and, like, I'm like, I there's no way I'm going to get a shot, like, from where I'm at. So I booked it down the tree and set up I, – I, I covered that ground – I got set up in gray light pretty much. And I was just like real still, but God, I was freaking drenched in sweat, man. Like <laughs> after that's the worst like, too, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was one of them like four stick, like sits like, cause I needed to be, I hunkered on the backside of this Ridge. So I wanted to get up higher than normal. And, uh, I was just plumb worn out. And I'm like, I think it was my birthday too. I'm like, sweet. Didn't even see a deer, <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Enough about that, man. You uh, you touched on doing out-of-state trips, and I really wanted to uh, pick your brain because you did an awesome uh, – I get, think you said it was a Econoline van? Yeah, uh, E-150. Yeah, so Zach pimped out this van for his out-of-state hunts, and, I mean, it just, like, starts, like, making you, you know, making you think, like, oh, man, like, I kind of – that's that's pretty ideal for when you're, you know – hitting some out-of-state trips like weekends here or there and you ain't got a place to stay you know would uh how'd you get into that like have you had that for a while or um no i'd say i'm going on year number four with it i believe but uh it kind of turned into one of those things like i'd always wanted to hunt out of state and i had been i had been on a couple of hunts like in south arkansas and stuff but you always go with somebody and you're staying at their cabin or camp or whatever but, uh, you know, I always wanted to try some of these public land hunts like you were seeing on YouTube and other places. And uh, 
while I was doing that, I started, you know, trying to figure out the cost. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm not a guy who's going to go camp for seven days in a tent. That's not me. You know, like I knew what would happen. I would go and I'd be there for two or three days. I'm like, man, forget this. I'm leaving, you know. And then uh, so I started looking at campers and then I looked at a camper kind of like a hotel. You kind of got to park it somewhere or you're toting it around all the time. Like you got to have a designated spot. So you got a spot you got to go back to, you know, at the end of a hunt, you're going back somewhere. And that's what I wanted to avoid. Like I wanted to be able to, you know, go. And if it's not working out on this property, I can pick up right at the end, go back to the car, truck, van, whatever, and drive two hours north. Maybe it's going to rain in this spot that I've selected. I get up there and on day three, storm moves in. It's going to rain for the next four or five days. I'll just pick up and move to a different part of the state that doesn't have rain. And that was my whole thing with a van. But really how I got into it was YouTube. Like, you know, you get the suggestions and stuff. And like some of those van life videos started popping up. There are people living in these things. And I don't know if you've looked at some of those designs there. I mean, we're talking $100,000 vans. That is not my van. I know, man. (laughs) Have you ever seen Cody's? Yeah, I have. I have. It's sweet. Yeah. But that is not my setup at all. Like, uh, so I, my whole thing originally was I just wanted something comfortable enough that it would feel like home for a few hours and I could go. And then I knew at the end of the night I could crash, you know, like that, that was my total goal. And, uh, I actually found this, it was, I looked, looked on the day I decided I'm going to buy, buy a van. I typed in Facebook marketplace van. And the very first picture that popped up was posted four minutes prior. And it was this Ford Econoline with 76,000 miles or it may have been 67,000 miles. I can't remember now. It just but broke in. 20, yeah, $2,500. And I was like, really? So I go look at it. Air conditioner blows code. I mean, it, it drives fine. It's got brand new Michelin tires on it. It's got a wheelchair set up in the back. But I was like, that's perfect. I don't have to pull the seats out or anything. They're already gone. So uh, that's kind of how it started. And, uh, you know, then I got way deeper into it. I was playing, but I really only had, because it was pre-COVID whenever I bought the van. And I really only have about 5,000, maybe now uh, up to 6,000 because I've made a little addition. But initially, the initial investment was about $5,000. Yeah, I mean, that's sick, man. When you look at your return on investment for like, you know, heck, just paying for a hotel, you know, for all those times. And I mean, how much more time do you get to hunt? Plus it's, it's yours, you know, I mean, I've, I've had other guests in the past and I've asked them about like, you know, out of state trips and how do you, how do you become comfortable? They're like, Oh, well you need to have your own pillow. I say, bring your own pillow and your own sheets. I think, uh, my buddy Christian said that. And, uh, it was, it's just like funny to me because it's true, but like, heck, when you can take your, your truck that you're already going to be going hunting with. And then, you know, like you said, you get right out of the woods and get right back to it. I'm sure you got a nice little grill set up or, you know, whatever. Is that what you're doing? You got a little Blackstone? I, I don't have a little Blackstone, but I got a little Coleman just, you know, stove top. And then you got those jet bulls now that just make oh, things yeah. so much. I mean, there, it's so simple to, to back country or, you know, camp out of a van or truck it's so simple now there's so many tools gadgets i mean like mm-hmm. there are a million things out there now that is for, are specifically made for living out of vans i mean there are right. companies dedicated to building these vans so all this stuff is a, a readily available like you know somebody asked me well how do you heat the thing you know i have this little all-in-one diesel heater i bought it for like 180 bucks on amazon you pour two gallons of diesel in it it'll heat the van for three nights you know, four nights. Yeah, you keep it 70 degrees. It's got a little thermostat on it, which it, it reads Celsius because it's from China. But you, you <laughs> set it up. You set it up. It'll it'll blow heat. You know, it'll turn off when it gets so warm. So you got to look up the Celsius conversion to be able to figure out what temperature you need that. But, uh, <laughs> right but I, I mean, like, people just don't realize how easy it is. I mean, it, so I, I vent that thing right out the bottom. It has a little exhaust, and I'll drill a hole in the bottom of the van, and you know, I put the hose down through there and, and used a type of caulk and silicone specifically meant for like chimneys and stuff for high heat. Right. High and uh, pipe that right out the bottom and it pumps heat right into the right into the van. So it's it's Sweet. perfect, man. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that's, I mean that's, that's pretty cool. Have you seen it, Logan? Have you seen those? Uh, 
his van set up. Have you posted on mobile United page? I'm sure I have at some point. It, it's probably been a I th- year I think since I, have. I posted on there. Yeah. Okay. There's there's just something about too, like going out buying this van for twenty five hundred bucks as is, right, and then turning it into something that special, like. It, there's a sense of satisfaction and and pride in creating something and doing it all yourself, and that that's really cool. A- absolutely, like uh, I've told people this all the time. My highlight of that season, you know, I, uh, the first year that I used the van, my I, I bought an Illinois tag, one of the most expensive tags in the country, and I only got to hunt four days because my wife got to a point in her pregnancy that you know I had to come home, but. uh I still was successful that season. And the fact that the first night I slept in that van, I was like, it's a huge success. Like this is the, yeah. this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Other than I didn't have a heater at that point in time. Cause I thought I got this thing insulated well enough. I'll do fine. I froze to death on the first night. So <laughs> I had to sleep in my, I had to sleep in my fanatic gear the rest of the week. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, hey, it was a huge sense of accomplishment. You live and you learn, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I come home and I immediately bought a heater. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, that's awesome. one of the most important things is like making it through the nighttime. I know uh, that, and I mean, heck, if you're going to be going out of state on early season, you uh, you're going to figure out some air conditioning for that thing, or what? Man, and I I've leave tried the, leave the van run, I guess. I, well, I have tried to schedule my out of state trip to where I'm only going to need heat. I'm not worried about the air conditioning. Right. <laughs> it does have air conditioning in the van, but I did not set it up to have an external air. Yeah. So. No, whatever, man. That's not that important. It was just, I figured I'd just haze you about it. I know uh, the other night when uh, I went to the Virginia mobile mobile road show, mm-hmm. and we were we were camping out, and I'm in uh, I'm in Zach's Zach Rob's uh, camper. That son of a bitch had the AC turned down to like 50 degrees, dude. I could not sleep. I, I had I brought a little tiny bed sheet, right? Like, because I figured I'm sleeping in the bed of my truck and it's going to be hot. So I'm like, I don't want a thick blanket. So I brought a bed sheet with me. Well, that's all I had, man. I, I woke up at like 2 or 3 in the morning. I go out there trying to find a hoodie in my truck just to stay warm. <laughs> I am cold as shit. You could have hung meat in that thing, I swear to God. And yeah, I'm it's nice to have... It's nice to have the little comforts of home, you know, that, and, and like you said, it, you know, like even in the wintertime, I get to keep it my temperature, you know, because like you said, it's mine. I don't have to worry about somebody else's or fighting a hotel air conditioner that, you know, how they are or uh-huh. heater that don't hardly work. And then the, the other cool thing about it is, you know, usually I'm camping right next to the spots I hunt. Actually, so, you know, yeah. I, I, I sleep in. Like, get an extra hour of sleep, if not two hours of sleep sometimes, depending on where you're at, you know, like. And then it gets dark early. Like I was telling you earlier, I can pick up a move. I mean, it gets dark at 5, 5 o'clock, 5.30, whatever, you know. By the time you get in the van, you drive for two hours, eat something, and it's still not really late. And you're parked right at your hunting spot for the next day. There's a yeah, lot of advantages. That. Yeah, that's sweet, man. That's something I never even thought about, really. So how many um, out-of-state trips have you done? I mean, I know, you know, when I when I think about – you, I, all I think about is that like one picture you got with your three big bucks from the the one year. That was like a one year's hunt, right? With all three of them. It was, it was. Um, but two of those were Tennessee deer, okay. and then one of those was in Oklahoma. But I think now I've been on five out of state trips. If you include Arkansas, uh, I've done Illinois, Ohio, Mississippi. Oklahoma. So, so yeah, five, five out of state trips. Uh, Oklahoma was the one that I was successful in in the year you're talking about, which is really cool. That was one of them deals where Matt Garris was out on limb. He was like, Hey, come up, honey, time. But just so happened, like he had permission on like a, a 10 mile range. So he had all these properties that he had permission to that he never hunted. And, uh, he went out there like the week before I got there and like mowed some, some lanes and stuff. And it's kind of funny if, if you go back, I got a YouTube video of that hunt. Uh, Matt's out there pouring corn out with his bucket. And he like had these permanent sets he went and put up and put corn out. I was like, man, that's just not really my style. And he was like, well, you're welcome to hunt wherever you want. So like I started scouting, you know, from his, 
from his uh, corn pile. And I guess I got about five, 600 yards, and I found a nice scrape and a rub, and I actually killed that deer on the second morning that I hunted it. That's cool. That's awesome, man. Here's and then, you. Yeah, you know, just because yeah, I mean, puts corn out. It's like, I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I'd rather go hunt somewhere, just hunt a deer on their natural movements instead of doing it like that, but. What's really cool about it is, is Matt has started doing that some. So, like, that's the only way he ever hunted was over corn. And he actually hunted over corn, like, those mornings with me. He would go up there with me to this property that I had permission on. And I, I'd say it was probably a 150, 180-acre property in Oklahoma. And, you know, like I said, he hadn't run cameras on or anything. He's hunting over these corn piles, and he didn't see a deer the entire time. But I killed – I saw a 10-pointer – another small buck and like three does on the first morning, nothing on the first afternoon. And then the next morning I shot that 10 pointer. I, I guess you could call him a 12 if you count, you know, the points that you can hang a ring on, but uh, they were 15, 16 to the inch. So I was a I got you. centimeter yeah, short on each, on each point. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 16th. yeah. So I, I, I killed him on that. Really? The, it was my third morning there, but second morning hunting. So it was a really cool trip. That was kind of the first one that kind of all come together exactly like you planned it. I planned on being there for eight days, and I was gone in three, you know. That's awesome, dude. I'm really excited. This will be my first legit, like, away from home, out of state hunt. Where are you going? Done. Going to Missouri for a few days during the rut. Hopefully. Public? Into something. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that'll be fun, man. North Missouri, above St. Louis somewhere? Um, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much, but yeah, somewhere, uh, well, around there, you know, well, like, I, I, down in the woods, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> I just was going to say, as long as there's an interstate runs across Missouri, you know, we're straight through St. Louis. And as long as you're north of that, the bucks get pretty big from what I've been told. So. I know. I hear the pressure is pretty big too, but I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. To me, pressure just, uh, sometimes you can use it here at the end. I think I agree with you, man. I think there's too many people that stress about it, but it just depends on the size of the property and what the pressure is. I would say, you know. So I like, hear still here's out my, there. Yeah, me and Logan, have, we've talked about that. It's like he's in a, a tough area where he lives at. You know, it, it's it's just one of those areas that you know a lot of out of state people hunt the public. Just feel like any any public land that's right near you know another state line is going to get hit more than some of the stuff that's in the central area. Right. And, and uh, I, yeah, I do. Especially like Illinois, it's noticeable. Like if you're in Southern Illinois, especially flat ground, like the flatter the ground, the more people there are. Um, but as long as it's near a state line, like that Southern area, you get a lot of Tennessee, Kentucky tags in that Southern Illinois area. And as you get up into farther Northern Illinois, you don't get as many people from like Indiana coming over into Illinois. I noticed that. So if you right. stay over in that eastern half, you're not dealing with that because there's a lot of big bucks in that state too, you know. And I know there is in Kentucky as well, but western Kentucky's, you know, fairly small area when you're talking directly below Illinois there. Yeah. So you get a lot of the, those western Kentucky, west Tennessee guys, even some from middle Tennessee just flooding that southern Illinois area. I mean, Especially I after like, all the publicity it got. Living in western Kentucky, I feel like we're a highly, highly traveled to area, you know, for everybody – in the Midwest wanting to hunt, you know, Western Kentucky. It's like, it's a great area. It's just, uh, the public land, man, I'm telling you it, it, I think it's going to be a total shit show this year. The public land in Kentucky, <laughs> there just seems like there's so many guys getting together and pounding the public this year. I mean, I don't know. I got a fun, I got a funny story about a friend. He, he decided he was going to hunt Kentucky about three, four years ago. And, you know, he lives here with, where I do. And so he just traveled straight up into Western Kentucky, found a public piece and, uh, you know, thought, okay, this looks good. Went in, scouted, hung some cameras. And I know you're not supposed to do this on, on public land, but, uh, about an hour after he hung his camera, he got a picture of another guy from our hometown carrying a 50 pound bag of corn past his camera. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. So small world, but you That's know, uh, but like we were talking about the pressure, uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they get deterred by it. And I, I say don't. And, I mean, it can be overcrowded, but a lot of times I'm not overly concerned with at least 
moderate pressure. And the reason is, is you think about a property that doesn't get hunted, uh, you know, like a large property has one or two guys hunting it. A buck gets jumped out of his bed, you know, like he may not use that bed again or, or you know, it, it worked for him, but he may speak right out of there. A buck on public, he may be jumped out of his bed 20 times a year, and he's going to continue using that bed a lot of times because it worked for him. And because there's so much pressure, they don't leave the area. Like you said, there's deer out there. And and in my experience, that's the case. A lot of times those bucks just hunker down and they will return to those areas. So when I mess one up, I'm not too worried about it. I'll go back. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was going to say the same thing. I think that, honestly, the more pressure that there is, the smaller that home range is for that buck. And so once you get in there, you're there. And he's not traveling as far because he knows that, uh, there's people around. And so when you find it, I feel like your chances for success might be higher. Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't think people try to look at the positive, you know, we're talking about getting deep and getting away from pressure. And I, I agree with all those things because that's where a lot of those bucks tend to go. They want to be, you know, uh, bothered as little as possible. But what I do like about it is like you said, it kind of narrows down that, that area that they're going to be. And uh, I think you can use it to your advantage. I wish people would be more positive about it sometimes, you know, and look at the bright side. I mean, like, there are some great advantages to there being pressure in an area. Absolutely. I think my main focus this year, I feel like a ton of people from podcasts and other knowledge, you know, that they are accruing online. I, I think I'm going to start focusing a lot more on – areas where a buck could see a parking lot or like those maybe not go as deep into public land and stay a little bit more shallow. Cause if I, if I'm not, you know, if I'm just thinking outside of the box, a lot of times I feel like out of the box thinking is what kills big bucks. And there's so many people trying so hard and it might even be their first year or their second year hunting. And they hear all these wild ass tactics that, veteran hunters are, are killing deer and they they know how to manipulate these areas the right way where most other guys don't because they don't have it and i think a lot of these bucks are going to be reverting back and like all right well we're going to catch them before they even walk in the woods you know i i picked it up on a small piece you know i hunt you know near here i walked right by this giant scrape dude that this deer laid down i mean within eyesight of the parking lot and it's like, okay, well, obviously I don't need to go walk a mile back in the woods today, you know? Yeah. This, yeah. so that, that leads perfectly into my, one of my questions that I actually had for you, Zach, um, which is for, you know, being a veteran of the game, hunting, uh, mobile style for so long kind of evolving with the way that information now is spread, right? You, you kind of hunted this way before the podcast blew up and the internet of just like the Facebook, like back in the day there was just forums and that sort of stuff. Now it's like you're on all these different Facebook pages and all this different stuff where there's so much information and you have trends, right? Like this year, what is it? It's thermal hubs. Like everything is about thermal hubs. And so to Justin's point, I was going to ask you, like, what are your tactics to almost anticipate that pressure where now people are going to be hunting thermal hubs and pushing those bucks in a certain way that if you're having that out of the box thinking, you're going to be hunting him where he's going to go instead of where he's at now? Yeah, I mean, that's a honestly, that's a really tough question. And, you know, it's and you guys know this like you said earlier, preaching to the choir, but every situation is a little bit different. So I, I can't give you an exact tactic. Just like here, you know, there are no true thermal hubs. I mean, like I said, flat ground and, you know, sight is a big deal. But like, uh, I think it's important, especially when you're hunting an area you know, to know, like you said, what are those secondary areas that those bucks are going to go to whenever the pressure gets up? And you just learn that over time. And probably my biggest weapon as far as killing deer and killing mature deer is in-season scouting like that that's my biggest thing I, I know a lot of people don't like to wander around the woods and they think they're stinking up an area 
Like, man, I love the in-season scout. A lot of times, if I find the right sign, and it, it only happens, I would say it happens once every three years. But, like, you find the sign, and when you find it, you're like, I know I'm going to kill a deer right here the first time I get this weather, whatever it may be. And to adapt, so, like, you know, you're talking about thermal hubs. Well, like, the, the information overflow is what what's the biggest thing you know get deep get away from the pressure get away from the parking lots you know that's the big thing well i'll be honest with you i did that for years uh one of my favorite spots which i was telling justin you know i hunted it in like for eight years straight you can kill a three and a half to five and a half year old buck in there uh on the first good day of muzzleloader it was almost a guarantee and the last time i went in there i walked all the way back and when i crossed the little levee uh, and it's a real hard pinch point right there between a uh, cypress swamp and the river. When I walked over, there's a brand new salt lick and a camera. So, so that spot, you know, it's 10 years of history there, kind of gone. But I did know of a spot where that, that cypress swamp kind of necked down and it was almost like a little bridge that the deer could cross. They just had to leap over a small spot of water there rather than wading through the cypress swamp. And I just decided to go scout that on my way out after i found that camera that morning i was like i'm not hunting back here somebody's been all over so i walked back out to check that spot this spot's maybe 200 yards from it 200 yards closer to the truck might i add and when i got there there was a giant scrape on each side of the little bridge those scrapes were never there i knew deer used them but they were usually using the deepest part which is where i'd hunted for years now with that that pressure being back there I was able to adapt because I knew where that little area was. And I thought, well, if they're going to still be crossing from these woods to these woods, where are they going to do it at? And I was able to go back there and I found a really nice buck. I got him on camera. I did not kill him that year or kill him last year, but it was a way of, you know, like we talked about knowing that area, every situation is just so different. You know I mean? Like if you're in a new area, out of state hunt, I mean, what are you looking for compared to what you're looking for at home? I'm not on a single buck. I'm looking for a concentration of deer, you know, where are they going to be laying down sign? Sometimes that's going to be those thermal hubs, but, you know, like I like to micro adjust, like I'll find the sign, maybe hunt where I can see some deer and okay, where are those deer coming from? Look on that. Why are they coming from there? You know, where are they going to whenever they get through here? You know, there's a lot of those things that play, play into it. Out of state's going to be much different area. You don't know it's going to be much different, but if it's an area, you know, you need to know it like the back of your hand. I wanted to ask you, for your out-of-state hunts, uh, you know, I'm sure you do a lot of e-scouting. Are you one of those guys that really, uh, are you looking to push your knowledge and push that level and hunt areas that you're not familiar with? Or do you look for areas that have terrain features that you're consistent with and confident in? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I tend to go the opposite of what I know, which is probably not what you should do if you want to be successful, but like that. That time I went out to Oklahoma, it was very similar terrain to what I hunted. I killed a deer on day two. He wasn't a 150, but he was a nice buck, you know, especially for out of state. The next year, I was like, I want to do something completely different. So I went to Ohio, lots of hills. And I mean, it liked to kill me. But And it took me four or five days to really put it together. I'm only there for eight. I ended up seeing a 150-inch deer on that trip. Uh, I ended up getting uh, about 65 yards from about a 130. So, you know, I, I had a really good trip and I think I'm going to go back there because I want to build on what knowledge I did have, you know? Yeah, man. I think that's part of like the journey in, in hunting is like, I, I kind of want to hunt areas that are different so I can like expand my knowledge. But at the same time, like you said, it's like, I think if you want to be if you want to make it about success, I think you're better off aiming for an area that you're knowledgeable in hunting. You know, it's just like, what do you want to do? Have you killed enough deer where you're happy? Or are you really looking to like go on your first out of state trip and bag something? Yeah. I mean, like, and, and I'm with you. I mean, like, and I see that I've seen some of the deer you killed, Justin. I haven't seen yours, Logan, but you know, uh, I've killed 165 inch deer. Let's be honest. If I go on an out of state trip and I kill a deer of that caliber, it's probably more luck than anything. Right. I mean, there's, they're not that they're not there to be found. And it's the same in it's the same in Tennessee. I mean, if I'm going to kill another deer in Tennessee that scores 100, a 165 inch deer in Tennessee is like a 200 in Iowa. You know, mm -hmm. they're just not around every corner. And 
um, you know, I, I kind of now I'm looking at the things other than inches that are making me successful. And, you know, I just, enjoy, you know, like you talked about earlier, stress, you know, you want to, you talked about the picture with the, the three bucks behind me um, to kind of build on that. You know, the year before was a year that I'd had my daughter. I was stressing because like, it was like down to the wire. I had not killed a deer and I actually killed a deer on her original due date. They were like, okay, this is the due date. I killed a deer that morning. Finally, you know, but it was the most stressful year ever. And I just did not have fun. And it took the fun out of it. And that next year is the year that I killed the, the 165, the Oklahoma buck. I actually killed a velvet buck in Tennessee. I killed a, uh, 19 inch wide eight pointer in Tennessee. And then, uh, so the velvet, the two other Tennessee, the wide Tennessee buck, the 165, and then the, uh, the Oklahoma deer, I killed all those in the same season. And I was just having fun. So, mm-hmm. so like, that's, that's my whole thing now, even out of state. Like, I just want to go have fun and not worry about inches. Like, I, I'm, I'm done with the stress part of it. And, yeah, and last, agree, year, last, year, I kill, last year, I didn't kill a great deer, but I had a lot of fun. And uh, I'm just going to continue down that road. And if I never top the biggest deer that I've ever killed, you know, that's okay with me. But I'm sure aiming for it, you know. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen, dude. You're you're a solid hunter, and you know what you're doing. It's just that's part of like for me, like with why I live in Kentucky. I just wanted to kill a a, a bigger deer. I'm sure eventually, maybe I could have done it in Maryland, maybe not. But you know, I, I killed a 160 in Maryland, and I just didn't come across many deer that were even in the 140s or 150s. So it's like. Well, if you want to kill more big deer, you got to go live where they're at, you know what I mean? Or at least start hunting those areas. And um, it's just, you know, fact of the matter, like I I want to start killing more deer out of state and just having fun. And I miss killing multiple bucks a year. I mean, coming from growing up, being able to do that and now passing deer that I like would be cool with shooting, you know, sometimes doesn't happen that often for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm not I'm not very good around Kentucky, but. <laughs> uh, you look to be doing pretty good to me. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I do. I just wish I. It's just I. I don't see that many bucks, dude. I really don't. You know, I wish uh, I did. I. I see good a, deer. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't see many hammers. You know, it's not like, oh yeah, I'm out there seeing giant after giant. That ain't the case. Well, I'm a firm believer. If you're hunting the, spl- the places where giants are, you don't see as many deer. I mean, it's just that's that's true. That's I don't. It, you know. You're just not going to see a lot of, if you want to go see a lot of does, go sit on the field. You know, you're going to see deer all day long, but are you going to see the one, you know, and a lot of those places you're hunting, you're just, you're not going to see as many deer. So uh, I'm with you there. Sometimes it's, it's a fight. Yeah, it is, man. It, it kind of weighs on me every once in a while, but I, you know, the more people I've met, more great people that, you know, I've come across in the past couple of years, it's kind of helped me like let that go because it's like, well, everybody's going through the same thing. Like when you flip that switch and you're targeting big mature deer, you just don't see as many and you just got to come to grips with it. Like you're not going to see that many big bucks, but eventually you're going to come across the one and you're going to realize why you're doing what you're doing. And another thing I'll say, and uh, I hate that I'm talking so much and taking all the time here, but uh, no, you know, That's like, here for. like, like you, you, you can't kill what's not there. And, and, you know, you were talking about like you killed a 160 in Maryland, you know, and people all the time, you know, just like you said, oh, I'm sure you'll get another one. And maybe one day I will. But, you know, like people are like, well, you killed a 165, you know, and you'll probably come across another. That is the largest deer that I've ever had on camera in Tennessee. Like people don't. Really, that's why I was saying, you know, he's almost like a 200 an hour. Let's be honest. He's probably like a 230 an hour. So the biggest deer I ever had on camera was a 165-inch buck, biggest deer. And I've maybe got one other deer who was even close to that. I have several 150s, but none that were true that true potential. So yeah. don't ever judge a hunter by his inches, I guess is what I'm getting no. at. Because no, inches, absolutely not. <laughs> inches are a terrible judgment. Yep. Well, that's not – and I, I don't really enjoy, like, you know, those guys are, oh, what do you score? What do you score? It's like – Man, like, how'd your season go? Because last year was a freaking journey for me, I can tell you. <laughs> like, you know, I just, that's one thing. I feel like I just, I just don't quit, man. If you don't quit, you know, eventually something happens. Right, right. Well, 
I think uh, it's about time to wrap up, man. I uh, why don't we let Logan close this one out with like our final question? What do you got, Logan? Um, so I like to ask, especially with your experience and everything, uh, what do you feel is one thing that sets you apart from the next guy? Uh, really just the love for it. I mean, like I know a lot of people say that they love hunting or they love deer hunting and I know there are guys out there, but like I thoroughly enjoy every minute of the challenge, you know, like, um, you hear people talk about, there's a little bit of sadness when you finally kill the deer, you know, like I feel that, but not for killing any deer, but like if I'm after a deer, like that challenge is over and it's time to accept a new challenge. And man, I just think I'm determined, you know, I'm always determined to challenge myself, push myself to that next adventure. And I can't stand losing, you know, like I'm as competitive as can be. So uh, if the deer beats me, that's great. But I am going to fight to the very end to make sure he doesn't. I can relate. I like that. uh, I like the way you put it. It's like you're going to fight until it's over. It's like it ain't. You got to get it right one time. He's got to get it right every time. Well, you got to look at this, that 165 inch deer I killed. I have five years of worth of history with him. And he taught me a lot in the sheer fact that the season that I shot him, I, he was almost an afterthought. Like I'd technically tagged out in Tennessee and, I, and he popped up on camera. He was one of those deer. He always showed up the end of November, first week of December. And the year before he had kind of went downhill and I thought, he probably won't show up this year. Neighboring property got bought. They're hunting it pretty hard. And he showed up. So I had to go shoot two does in a hurry to be able to earn another buck tag. But five years worth of history, and he really, he almost felt like more of a dream than a reality that I could kill him. I'd never seen him. You know, it was almost like, it. it how realistic is it for me to actually see this deer and then kill him? You know, and I actually saw him twice that, you know, the year that I shot him the the morning before and then the next afternoon but uh you know i learned a lot not to give up and even even when you don't see them they may seem like ghosts but the opportunity is there it's just got to be right place right time man and you're only going to put yourself in that position if you have the passion like what you were talking about that's all there is to it it's hard not to quit whenever you know it's almost like baseball i don't know if you guys play baseball but you know the uh 300 average is a really good average. So you're failing more than you succeed. It's the same thing with hunting whitetails. You're going to fail a lot, but those failures lead to successes. That's right, man. I love it. Absolutely. Right on the, right on the edge of you quitting or getting all pissed off or something bad happens. It always seems to God works in mysterious ways. I don't know if you're religious or not, but I mean, it's like, I feel like it always just right on the edge of like, you're like just super pissed off and then things just seem to happen. I don't know if it's just willpower or what, but yeah, the, uh, one of to that baseball theme or to go along with it. Uh, one of, I think it was Alex Rodriguez said, you're always just one hit away from being out of a slump. And that it's, a, it's all it takes. If you just keep coming to the plate, that's all it takes. So I like that. I remember when I used to stress out and it, it just reminds me, I remember when I used to stress out a lot, a real good hunting buddy, you know, he, he's, uh, I grew up hunting with him and my dad. He used to always say, takes one second. That's all it takes yep. is one second. It must be a, a old time, uh, saying, cause I hear that all the time from some of my older buddies. It's like, <laughs> everything can just change. Six, they say, some of them say 60 seconds, but, but man, Zach, it has been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I hope, uh, all of you guys listening enjoyed this one. Where can everybody catch up with you, man? If we got any questions, maybe some guys are looking to build their little band project or something like that. Uh, you can catch up with me on Facebook. Name's Zach Owsley, O-W-S-L-E-Y. Um, you can also find me on YouTube. You can actually find the van, a little bit of the van on YouTube. I never did film a final episode of that. And uh, the the YouTube channel is called Aerial Assault, but you can also search my name now because I got to where a lot of people are just tagging my name on Facebook. And then, you know, I had to go tell them what the channel was. So I just changed the, the YouTube channel to where it says Area Assault slash Zach Owsley now. So uh, just look me up. You're welcome to mess with me anytime. Man, I'm just glad to help anybody. Right on, man. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I hope uh, 
all you guys out there took a lot from this one. We appreciate y'all and we'll catch y'all next week. Thanks again for tuning in this week, y'all. We really appreciate you. Want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. If you guys don't know, uh, next weekend they're going to do the final Mobile Hunters Roadshow in Iowa at the uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear headquarters. We hope to see you there. I'm really excited. It's one of my favorite stops of the Roadshow. Um, just all around great time, great people. You guys will really enjoy it uh, if you can make it, if you live nearby. Um, other than that, uh, get online. Uh, you know, season's getting close for all of us. If you guys need any any gear, head over to LoneWolfCustomGear.com. If you guys are looking to add a little bit of edge to your season this year, Logan's company, Timberwolf Supply Co., is awesome. For uh, They have some nootropics that you guys should check out and really gets me in the zone. I'm uh, looking forward to using this stuff, you know, as my uh, drink of choice this year when I'm in, on stand. We're going to close today's segment out with a quote from Inky Johnson. I really like this quote. I think y'all will too. Embrace the process, trust the process, but most importantly, respect the process. Hope you guys uh, enjoy that one. Hope it finds y'all well. We hope you have a great weekend and uh, we look forward to catching up with y'all next week.